Hello, and welcome to the Global Luxury Real Estate Mastermind with me, your host, Michael Valdez. Today's guest is somebody that I've known since I first got into real estate, which is now 16, 17 years ago, which is going to make us sound old on, but we're not. <laughs> you are the managing broker for the state of Florida for Side Inc. Donnie Pingaro, welcome to the show. It's so good to see you, brother. You as well. It's been way too long. It has been so long, but isn't that crazy? I started sort of like right before this interview trying to figure out how long have I known him? And it was from the very beginning. It was really crazy. It was so like literally 16, 17 years, but you were already in the thick of this already in the real estate world down here in South Florida. I was. I was already ears deep. Absolutely. Ears deep. <laughs> Hopefully not drowning, but ears deep. But listen, for the sake of the audience, because um, really very humbly and thankfully, we have a really very global audience. I actually met with my um, with my podcast team this morning and we were in 70 countries distributed and now we're distributed in 90 countries. And so it's really crazy. So for those 89 other countries or 88 that may not know who Don is, do you want to share a little bit about your background? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, thanks again. It's so great to see you and, and, and chat together once again as we kind so of come great. out of the COVID cloud. And um, yeah, like a lot of people, you know, I got into real estate kind of by mistake. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm a New Yorker at heart, as we've talked about many times. Yes. And um, I moved down for graduate school to get my master's in business. And uh, the University of Miami was a great time. And the one thing I learned by getting my master's was I was not a Wall Street guy. Yeah. You know, I would, that's I was trained that way, but that was not what was in my heart. I was an entrepreneur at heart. Um, I was working in restaurants getting through college because it was easy cash. Um, and I just kind of rolled off with that. And I uh, went in the olden days, you know, used to look for job postings in the newspaper. That's right. Miami Herald had pool bartender, uh, Fisher Island. I had no idea what Fisher Island was. Um, I said, might as well just make some drinks for the summertime and see what's up in September. And um I came in there and I got the interview. I came in a suit because I was an MBA guy and the food and beverage director is like, you've been doing restaurants for so long. Why are you looking to just be a pool bartender? I'm like, well, that's what the ad was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Day later to take me fish around and I'm like, oh my goodness, I never knew this place existed. This is like, you can't put it in words. Yeah. And um, day one, I met my original business partner who was running a hotel. So he had a, a hustler from New York and myself, a hustler from Chicago and himself. And we said, you know what? There's got to be a better way. A year later, I got my real estate license, um, put it with Byrne Reinhardt, which was a very big regional company at the time. Wow. And um, with, after the first year, I was a top producer for the company. And away we went in real estate in Fisher Island. Now, that is crazy. I did not know that that's how you ended up on Fisher Island. Purely by mistake. Like most wow. people in life. And so, okay, so for the sake of those that don't know about Fisher Island, this is probably one of the most expensive zip zip codes in the country, right? This is where Oprah Winfrey had a home there at one point. You had all these, so you could only get there by, what is it, by ferry, by uh, private boat, or it used to be at one point by helicopter. Remember where you used to land in Fisher Island? Yeah, seaplane, helicopter, you can still land there in the the Gulf on the fourth hole, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And you're literally, what is it, eight minutes to South Beach and all the craziness of South Beach. Absolutely. So tell people, 
well, you told them how we ended there, but what is sort of that infrastructure of what Fisher Island is? Because it is its own world. You have it, you have your own hotel. Tell us about all of that because you became, you still are the king of Fisher Island. You've probably sold more there than anyone else. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been a great run. It's been almost it'll be 30 years next year. I've been servicing the community. Oh my gosh. And uh yeah, talk about feeling old. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a bubble. It is a, you know, the ultimate bubble. Um, it's the ultimate, um, commodity of real estate in Florida that cannot be duplicated. You know, the EPA will never allow a developer to dredge out another private Island. This is not Dubai. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, so it's 216 acres, a little over 850 residences right now. And that's very, and like Michael said, the, one of the highest income zip codes in the country annually. And we have this wonderful world-class country club on property, world-class beaches. It's just, it's nirvana. Um, it is. You're seven minutes away from being into South Beach. You're seven minutes away from going to the Causeway and watching a Miami Heat game and LeBron James back in the day. Yeah. And being in Miami, which, as we all know, is grown up before our eyes. You know, it's a 24-7 super prime city now. So um, our residents on Fisheron like that kind of separation to have that exclusivity and safety for them and their families, privacy. Um, but they can go in and have these, you know, Art Basel and the dinners and just everything that Miami brings to the table, it's right there for them. So it's a really cool dynamic. I want your best Fisher Island story. One you can share, actually. Oh, my goodness. Because <laughs> I'm sure there's many you can't. There are, there are, yeah, there. Are, I, I always say that's my golden parachute is to write the book with a ghostwriter. <laughs> um, best fish on story. Uh, let's let's do this. So um, back in two thousand, right after the the crash, things accelerated very quickly back in Miami. Yeah. You know, and as we know, a lot of the hedge funds and a lot of the European countries really gave a a softer cushion to Miami than other places. And as things were starting to escalate, we had a lot of European buyers that were coming, and they wanted large residences. Um, and at the time, the newest building was a 2007 built building. And a lot of these residents had built two across to make a 7,000 square foot residence. Uh, we had this one buyer who said, I have to have one. And we said, well, there's only six that exist. Um, the last two just closed for around 8 million. And I, I just don't know if we can tempt any of the other four. And he says, get it done. Just give me the contract sign. So we went to each of the six residents. You know, hey, we have a fantastic buyer from offshore, ready to close cash immediately on your terms. And um, we had one Mexican uh, resident who said, I have no interest to sell, but if this guy's silly enough to pay $14.2 million, I'll do it. And I'll, I'll tell my wife later. <laughs> and <laughs> never a good start. And um, I said, well, fill in $14.2 and sign it. And I'm pretty certain you're going to have the money in the title account in 24 hours. And, and sure enough, the blank check deal, our buyer from international paid, the comps were eight. He was happy to pay 14. And uh, yeah, you know, we, we've done a lot of deals with blank checks in very unorthodox ways because that's yes. just the luxury business. And um, it's part of, you know, what you and I love about the business. That it's, it's very creative. You know, one of my first sales was on Fisher Island. Uh, it was... Um, it was almost a similar story where it was a Russian client of mine that had come in and wanted one of the freestanding homes. 
And uh, so it was one of the ones that was only one on the market at the time. And of course, it's sort of like it's, uh, his wife had come in and didn't like that one. So wanted one that, of course, wasn't on the market. So it was one of those old classic real estate stories. You get out of the car, you knock on the door. And it's sort of like, this is going to sound like a crazy story, but I have an interested client in the car that wants your house. And it was like, it's not on the market. It was like, yeah, I understand that. But what's the number? And so literally one of those things where a month later we had sold the house and it was extraordinary. It's, it's something about that where if somebody wants Fisher Island, to your point, nothing else exists of it. Well, for so many years, people would come out and they'd be like, well, I, I love this. What can I compare it to? What, what can I go to compare yeah. it to? I said, you can't. I said, you know, if, if this is within you and your family and this is for your legacy, there's nothing that's going to compare it to it. That's right. And if it's not for you, there's, there's amazing other communities in Miami and Key Biscayne and South yeah. Beach. We can explore that also. Right. Um, but it's not Fisher Island. And um, like, you know, everybody would always, after they go through the process, would be like, you were absolutely right. It was one of a kind and it was either perfect for me and my family or it was yeah. perfectly not for me and my family had <laughs> better for me. And that's <laughs> And that's good, too. That's good, too. You know, yeah. so when you actually write the book, do you remember the Philistines of the Hedgerow? That was all about the Hamptons. And when the person actually decided to start writing the book, the pseudonyms were a little bit too close to reality. Right. And people started figuring out who people were. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot more you can actually do in, in, in Fisher Island. So you probably shouldn't write the book. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're with a, uh, a new company. You're with Side and you're the managing broker of Florida and also the VP of operations for the state of Florida. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about Side and how they found you. Yeah, so uh, it was kind of a little bit of, I found them a little bit. Um, again, being in the career for so long, you know, um, yeah. this is 2019 now. Uh, so I was 27, 28 years into this great run on Fisher Island. And I've been fortunate enough to do over 5,000 transactions on island, which is just wow. mind boggling even to me doing it to think of just how many ferry rides I've done over the years. And, <laughs> um, but, you know, after everything, over time, you lose that passion. And, you know, you can still help clients out that are near and dear to you, but to go in and fight for a listing was just not as exciting as it was 10 years ago or what have you. Yeah. Um, I had also previously been another company. I was running the International Division for ISG, a regional company, and um, enjoying that sphere of my, of my career, doing both of these things as an independent broker and also for an executive. But I was really confident that the, the industry as a whole for the realtors and for the clients is kind of broken. Right. There, there, there's really um, a disalignment right now in terms of how the brokerages who are managing transactions and driving transactions are not truly giving the proper tools and benefits to realtors. Vis-a-vis so, so -vis then the, the clients are not getting the proper kind of, um, you know, support. This is yeah. a very big investment for everybody, right? That we work with as, as a purchaser. And, um, you know, furthermore, I, I just felt seeing it up front that a top producer, like friends that we have, yeah. the executives were actually looking to get more money out of them rather than helping them make more money. So um, I started doing some consulting for some different tech companies. I was out at a luxury conference in, in Beverly Hills, and it was a typical CEO panel. I won't, you know, go with the CEOs that were on the stage with their suits and ties looking very sharp and basically saying nothing. Nothing exciting, nothing dynamic to the crowd of 500. 
And this other gentleman is in there in a Patagonia and jeans and sneakers. And I didn't have never heard of this person. I didn't know what the company was, but he was speaking exactly to what I felt was wrong. Yeah. Why, why doesn't a company get behind Michael, who is a rock star in our business, and propel Michael personally to get him to the next level of success, which he can then help his clients to success? Um, so I flew out and the, they flew me out the next week. I met some friends and they flew me out to San Francisco. Um, I started doing some consulting for them. Um, I believed in their model, you know, the people behind it, the investors, the, the goals. And, um, you know, in October, they asked me if I wanted the opportunity to take this great model and make it Florida centric. Wow. And I jumped at the opportunity and it's been a blast since then shaping this great state and um, taking great top producers and taking them to the next level. I love that. That's amazing. There's so much disruption in our industry right now, right? Especially after COVID. Mm-hmm. When you start sort of thinking about the, the, there's a reinvention almost of our industry. And there's still more to come, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, really sort of like waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? The new normal. And this was all in the works, but just think about it. I mean, you know, the ability to walk into um, a condo or a home and with your iPhone, talk to someone across the world. Right. And have them have the confidence to make a bid, a very strong bid, and, and close on a property without even walking through it. These things were happening beforehand, and the COVID kind of has accelerated some of this technology and this speed of transactions, yes. and, and what I believe quality transactions um, and access moving forward. So a lot of our companies that are you know on the cutting edge are really helping out in a grand way, much faster than we could have dreamed. I think you're absolutely right about that, and it'll be interesting to see how this evolves. You know, but there's still also that core of what's there, right? And you were talking about the 30 years that you've spent uh, with one of the most expensive Uber luxury zip codes, period. So what sort of advice would you give somebody that's trying to break into that ultra luxury market? Yeah, great, great question. And I get that answer to ask me a lot. I'm sure you do. <laughs> yes. and I was like, hey, can I shadow you for a couple months? And yes. no, <laughs> I, I'd love to, but. But no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just think it's, you know, first and foremost, you know, I mean, I started this when I was in my 20s, thank goodness, you yeah. know, that we can start doing the math. But, you know, nonetheless. Um, the same math. It's okay. <laughs> it's the same math. I, I, I recognize very early that although these folks expect luxury, they expect excellence, they have really great checkbooks, you know, they're people just like we are. And it's that mutual respect. If you can break through all the nonsense and you can treat Michael as Michael wants to be treated and, and respectfully, people will resonate. You know, you, you, you need to care. You need to give a damn that this is Michael's family and this is his legacy for his kids, his grandkids, whatever that could be that's shaping his why. Um, and that goes for any commodity in real estate, right? That's so don't right. be intimidated if you're showing going from a $500,000 product to a $2.5 million product. It's the same motion. The other thing I always tell people is, you know, you need to learn your product like everything else whether it's the, the quality of cabinetry and floors and designers, it doesn't take that much to just kind of get up to speed as to what's going on in that sphere of the world. But again, people want to have confidence that you are the expert. They're hiring you to you know, ferry them on this transaction, which is a large investment for them. And they need to have confidence that you can relate to them and know 
what matters to them and to their world. And, um, you know, that combination, I think, gets you a good head start. Um, working for a team, I think, is also a fantastic way to do that. If you can find a top producer who has a team structure and start getting some at-bats, I think it's not the most instant gratification, um, but you will pay your dues. And if you're going to make it, I think you're going to have a much higher level of success that way. That's why they want to come shadow you for two months. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I think what you said is really important. It's the idea of being an advisor as yes. opposed to being a transactional broker, right? Which so many of our colleagues are. And mm-hmm. I think that's really the transition of that of that level of getting into that luxury market. Because in some cases, the greatest secret is that it's almost easier to deal with a luxury buyer than it is for someone who's, you know, at sub million, for example, because mm-hmm. for them, it's a much more important sale, mm-hmm. right? So there's a lot more details. It's a lot more of, you know, again, a very general statement, but usually it's a lot more of what their net worth is in that home purchase. The more you get up on that scale, it's not their primary residence. It's their secondary tertiary, you know, property or more. And so for them, it's sort of like what's important as sort of like what ticks the boxes. Those boxes are less. Sometimes it's just 181 days, right? We were just talking about this. (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) So true. So tell me what the greatest lesson you've learned in your career thus far? The great, the greatest lesson, um, God, I've, I've had so many, you know, as, as the transaction, like I said, the transactions are transactions, but it's yeah. the people we meet that are just amazing individuals and they're iconic in their field or they're benevolent towards building hospital wings. Yes. And um, I, I have this one client from Toronto. He's in the mining hall of fame. I mean, wow. I didn't know the mining hall of fame, but he's in there. <laughs> um, you know, he's, he's built hospital wings and we used to always, um, when he'd come down every winter, we would go for a walk and we would go for a walk around Fisher Island, about a 5k, so about three miles around. And me and Seymour would go around for about an hour and a half, just talking about life. Yeah. And he said, you know, people are going to forget what you say. People are going to forget what you do, but people will never forget how you make them feel. And he, he said that to me in terms of a compliment, I took that very wholeheartedly from, from this incredible, amazing humanitarian. And, and, you know, it's kind of the way I try to lead my life. And I keep that as a focus. And I tell that to my daughter, my daughter's 11 years old. I tell her that all the time that, you know, you got to be watched careful what you do and what you say, but it's really important how people feel when you're around them. And that's, what's going to be lasting. So that's. That. Yeah. Because it is what matters, right? It's sort of like, look, we're in the people business. And that's all it is, right? We deal with human beings and we're dealing with really transactional opportunities for the next stage of their life. Mm -hmm. That's really important. That's an important role to really look at it. But you're not doing a sale. You're helping somebody in a transition in their life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful statement. I love that. All right. So now a flip side. So yeah. that was the advice for people sort of coming into the ultra luxury. Mm-hmm. If someone just coming into the business today, you know, it's like we have been in this business for a while. You, you, you before me, but somebody coming into this business today, post COVID, someone's coming in where it is now a seller's market. 
someone doesn't even know what a buyer's market is, right? And so it's almost that false sense of reality where, remember it was pre-crash, everybody were order takers, right? So early in, 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 uh, in like early 2000s in Miami, all you had to do was sort of write contracts. And so we're almost there again. We are there again. Right. Somebody coming into the industry now, three pieces of advice you would give them. Oh, so, so first of all, be careful. So I'll give I you two <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you two stats. So um, in, in my role, I'm the managing broker for each time we partner with someone, we build a new brokerage for them. I do the managing broker to get the liability and that job off their plate. They want, they want to do deals and, and shape lives like we're talking about. So don't have to worry about yeah. that. So I've got 28 broker licenses in the state of Florida and counting. So we get this big backlog in March and we're talking to the state capital and they're like, you know, this takes usually three weeks. Why is it two months? What's happening? They're like, we got in March, 6,000 applications in the state of Florida for new agents, agents to brokers, new brokerages. Oh my gosh. So just like you're saying, you know, people are expecting nowadays, um, just get your license. You're going to make at least a hundred grand with your eyes closed. Um, and then just today, I was watching, uh, at lunch, I'm on my app, I was, saw a CNN video, it was talking about the real estate market for newbies. And it was highlighting a guy in Austin, Austin, Texas right now, one of the hottest markets in the country, you know about. it's amazing, great town, love it. Um, there are eight times as many licensees in Austin than homes for sale. <laughs> so, um, There's yeah. nothing wrong with that, stats are there. It's a little upside down. So they highlighted this one gentleman, great young kid, very smart, got his license. He's with Keller Williams. He's not, he got his license in October last year. He's not made one transaction. Wow. What? Oh my God. Because of the competition. The competition is so stiff. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, you know, ad advice to someone who's going in, get with a team, you know, don't do not try to do this on your own. <laughs> it's, it's timely. It's expensive. It's emotional. To have that support and have that kind of mentor, again, there are plenty of top producers who work in that structure yes. and are looking for, for new talent. Um, I think it's essential. Um, another thing was way back in the day, I, my broker sent me to a Mike Ferry uh, seminar. I remember those. We, I, so many of us have been there. And it's, you know, it's funny. I, I, saw the, I saw Mike again in Anaheim about 20 years later. He had the same stories, <laughs> the same jokes. <laughs> But the room was still packed. That's right. Um, but the, the main thing I took away from those two days in Atlanta was don't focus on the dollar value. Don't focus on the glamour of that deal. Focus on being in as many deals as possible. Try to make it as replicatable as possible. And yes, it's harder in today's market when there's such competition of eight to one. But when you do get into with a client and you're working with them, you need to make them important, but understand that that's not everything. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the more you can do on volume, you will gain experience, you will gain knowledge, you will gain confidence. And I think that's essential. And a lot of younger associates I find do one or two deals and they get immersed into that too deep. Yes. Opposed to kind of looking forward and saying, this is a career I need to build upon this rather than celebrate these first two. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you've always had a global clientele, mostly because you're in a global destination, right? 
Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't even know the number of countries that would be represented on Fisher Island and really South Florida, because you do a lot of other things besides Fisher as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also the idea that you're very involved with ARIA, the Asian Real Estate Association of America, other organizations as well. So somebody that's looking to really sort of target that global audience would you recommend these types of associations as a good start for someone? How do you recommend someone getting into a global audience or getting themselves noticed with a global audience? Yeah, no, I, I think it's the ultimate way to do it. I mean, yes, we live in Miami. It's a very multicultural city. It's, you know, we have the confluence between Canada coming down, Europe across the pond, South America coming up. Um, it's, it's what I fell in love with Miami back in 1990 and why I never left. You know, it's just, it's an amazing, amazing city. And it's, again, finally growing up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like you mentioned, Aria, like I'm, I'm very, very committed and, and, and um, deep within to the Aria culture and leadership and, and to their mission. And um, I came in just like a lot of folks, curious, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Asian by descent. Um, um, I saw the opportunity, you know, of the Asian marketplace, how it's affected a lot of North American cities. It, Miami is the last major global city that is not really impacted. I, I challenge anybody anywhere to find another North American city that is, you know, bigger than Miami that has had less impact by Asians to date. Um, it will become an Asian American city in the near future. And I wanted to learn. And, um, you know, I started going to different networking events and, starting to learn and get to know some of these leaders. And it was amazing to see the level of their willingness to share. Yes. They're willing to share their, their, their expertise, their culture, their food, their music. Um, when yes means no, no means yes. Um, so many different things that just we wouldn't necessarily, you know, you know um, grab onto on our own. Um, but there's other associations, there's NAREP, and there's, there's so many associations like this, and um, they, they are great. There's a lot of um, community focus behind all these associations. So again, that also is nice to step back from your success and give back, you know, whether it's sharing or whether it's advocating, you know, on, on, in Washington, D.C., whatever that looks like that you can give back. I think that's very important for what we do to balance us. Um, a lot of my associates, I always kind of kid around. I said, most top producers are transactional animals, yeah. right? It's deal, 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 no listing, listing, listing. And there's not a lot of balance in a lot of the top producers' lives. And um, for me personally, and you know, thankfully, a lot of the, the, the colleagues that I've been with in a lot of these associations, that's a very important part of the balance of our life and to kind of bring us back down. And then when you get back to that next transaction, it's that much more fruitful for us. I want to stay on that topic of balance because you're very philanthropic and I know that you're involved in many things. You're an ambassador for more than sport. Um, Actually, tell us a little bit about that. I'd love to hear about that and your other efforts in that regard, because I love who you are as a human being, because you're one of those that really does balance that. And you're one of the, the guys that I know that just gives back a lot. Your family does. So I know I really admire you for that. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, more than sport was that was kind of a game changer for me personally in, in, a, in a lot of regards. So um, I've always had massive energy. Um, I've always, you know, one of my quotes is always sleep is overrated. You know, <laughs> I just feel 
you know, you're only going to be in your 20s once. You're only going to be in your 30s once. Now I'm in my 50s. You're only going to be in your 50s once. That's and right. It's all about, you know, when, when I go like yourself, when we go to, you know, a lot of these real estate conferences, if you're going to get on the plane and you're going to leave your family, do it right. You know, get into that breakfast meeting, get the most out of that day, pay attention, network. If there's an after hours party, go and get to know people at a different level, like just max it. Um, but back in the 2000s, I used to be an endurance runner in high school and college. I started doing triathlons. Um, and, um, you know, I got very, very passionate about it. So it was very much like from 530 in the morning to eight o'clock in the morning, I do my training, yada, yada. Um, I was very successful in Olympic distance. So I was traveling around uh, different parts of the country and world, you know, on the weekends doing this in the summertime. And I, I used to meet a lot of pros. It's a very unique sport triathlon because at the end of the day, it's only what you put into it. You yeah. get out of it. Right. Right. Um, it's the only one of the only sports that you will compete with world class athletes at the exact same time, the exact same course. So I'm like, I'm a golf fan. If you watch the U.S. Open yesterday, they're not letting Donnie Pingaro go out and play with John Rahm on the U.S. Open yesterday. Right. You can't compete with professionals on their field at that time. Sure. So I, I got to know some of these pros and this one pro, Chris Lieto, started this, this whole charity, More Than Sport. And the idea behind More Than Sport was you have all these usually demographically wealthy individuals coming into a, a city or a village to race, celebrate fitness and have a great time. But what was the city really getting out of it? So he wanted to give back to each city that the race was going on. And um, we went down in Panama, down in the, the country, Panama city, got to yeah. swim in the Panama canal. Wow. Very, very cool deal. Yeah. Um, you know, just all these kind of cool things. And they had a mission. So two days, we went down with the Panamanian Navy, bust us and helicoptered into this uncharted village that had river damage from a flood. And for two days, we built um, two homes. Um, they were each 900 square feet for a family of 11 and 13, respectively. Wow. And uh, I realized firsthand, you know, when we landed in the helicopter, there was three and five-year-olds coming to hug us who'd never met us to pick up our bags. And they were taking care of the one and two-year-olds because the parents were in the fields working, oh. right? So for two days, we, after a race, go out there, 30 of us triathletes and build these two homes. And it was such a little thing to do in our world. Oh. What an impact it made in their world. Of course. Right? Um, so that was a lesson I learned that, you know, when you talk about charity and benevolence and giving back to your community, we're all busy. Fortunately, many of us are very successful, but it's those so little can do so much yeah. and to take that kind of balance and find those cracks in our day that we can do that and give back. Again, I think that makes us better human beings and it makes everybody better for that purpose. I love that, Donnie. That's beautiful. I love yeah. that. Yeah. So tell me in the lens that you have now, right? Yeah. What advice would you give your 10 year old self? Oh, my 10-year-old self. I have an 11-year-old daughter, so I'm giving a lot of advice there to her. There you go. She's not listening too much some days. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it's just about keeping perspective and understanding that other people on the other side have feelings too. And you really got to do everything you can in your power to keep that focused and, and always treat people how you would want to be treated. You know, and, and we try to do that day to day as, as a, an example for her. And there are some days where we have to kind of 
rewind that for her and and kind of put that in focus saying, you know, hey, mama and papa don't talk to people that way or we would never do that, would we? Um, So again, you try to live by example at this point for that 10 year old self. I love that. So I have one final question for you. In your book of life, what is this chapter called? (sighs) What is this chapter called? Um, Let's see here. I was going to say never enough, but that's that's not good for this time in my life. I, I think it's more. Uh, it's time to elevate others. I think that's the, that's that's this chapter right now. You know, um, I've done the twenty four seven three sixty five, as you know, back and forth in the ferry, living and breathing transactions, doing hundreds of transactions solo myself. It's not about that anymore. It's about finding the real good people in the world, um, leveraging my experience and kind to try put those dots that are out there for, for all of us that even those great people don't see, put them together and take them to the next spot. I love that. Yeah. Donnie, it's so good to see you. It is really like so amazing. Every time we see you, we just pick up from where we left off and it's been uh, a now a 17 year sort of, you know, friendship and it's been lovely and thank you for all that you do i love the stories that you shared thank you for sharing your story with everyone and i can't wait to see you in person again soon look forward to it michael thanks very much for the opportunity great seeing you thank you so much and thank you for all of you for listening this has been the global luxury real estate mastermind with me your host michael valdez Mm -hmm.